you where you were going 40 miles an hour. This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top 9 miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. Racing is the ultimate digital home track for race fans everywhere. Subscribe today and stream over 1,300 racing events live and on demand. Flow Racing has something for everyone, like NASCAR Weekly Series, Sprint Car Racing, Drag Racing, Off-Road Racing, and much, much more. Learn more at flowracing.com forward slash go MRN. That's flowracing.com forward slash go MRN. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Off turn four, white flag is in the air. One mile, one lap from his first career victory. It's Chase Briscoe headed to turn one. Guarantee you, Briscoe's not looking in the rearview mirror. He's looking up ahead and he sees clear racetrack. He takes it up high through turns one and two. He'll lead the field down the back straightaway. Battle for second, still side by side. It's allowing the race leader to break away. Chase Briscoe leads into turn three for the final time in Phoenix. Mistake free and a day he will never forget. Off four, final time, checkered flag is out. Career win number one for Chase Briscoe. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. I was crying with like 80 to go when I was in the lead, let alone <laughs> let alone the last lap. So I, it's just crazy, you know, to think literally seven years ago I was I was giving up, sleeping on couches, volunteering at race shops, just trying to get an opportunity in anything I could. And, and now to be a winner in the Cup Series, uh, driving for my hero's car, just it's, it's unbelievable. You know, all the stuff that's been able to happen, and to now be a winner and be the 200th winner at that. It's uh, just unreal. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Lou Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you. And actually, this is the final edition of NASCAR Live for 2022. And this week, we're going to give you the first of two best of NASCAR Live shows. We're going to do some reflecting over the course of the next two weeks. And on this week's show, we're going to hear from Chase Briscoe and Tyler Reddick after they scored their first NASCAR Cup Series wins in 2022. We're also going to look back at the history of where Tyler Reddick got that first win, the winding four-plus-mile road course at Road America in upstate Wisconsin. We're also going to look back at Throwback Weekend and some of the great paint schemes that were driven that day. But we'll start with the biggest race of the year, the Daytona 500. Let's take you back to February 20th to the sounds of the great American race. Daytona, are you ready? Drivers, start 
Everybody is ready here in Daytona. The engines come to life, 40 and all. Inbound, the Thunderbirds, Starburst, right over top of the broadcast booth. I think that was the real fire in the hole. That ain't no lie. Took the entire grandstand. Every time you come down here, it's something special, so let's go out there and uh, have some fun today. Green flag goes in the air, and Kyle Larson from the outside lane crosses the start-finish line. He'll go to driver's left. Fall in line at the bottom of the racetrack to begin to lead the field to turn one. Still one back, 48 in line with you. 17 still, third back up top. Don't get out too far here, you're doing good. Still one back in line with you. Change at the start finish line. Kyle Bush by a fender on the inside lane leads in the turn number one. You are clear, one off. Tight on him, one off in quarters. Three-quarter, quarter. Harrison Burton up and over. He'll flip that Wood Brothers Ford Mustang. He's rolling, guys. I'll let you know if he starts getting that way. Trying to roll at least. Dang, you can't push to the right, Brad. I know, I know. Is it going anywhere or just spin the tires? Shield. That's lit. Yeah, it's important. Christopher Bell is involved. William Byron involved. Kyle Bush gets a piece of the action. They came across my nose, took the right front, uh, spun me to the bottom, and then I just went for some twirly news. Uh, everything's fine past that. Just need some tires here. Also, one other car down to the inside of the racetrack. It's Ross Chastain. Alex Bowman all get collected out of turn number two. Barely hit nothing, but it blew all four tires, and it won't move. Don't stay in it. Leave your net up. It's just sitting here on all four rub blocks. Can't move. Yeah, so far, we're trying to... I, I don't know if they're just going to be able to push us or what. You've got Austin Sindrick, who has done so much for others, leading the field back to turn number one. He has been a very willing and a very capable bridesmaid so far today, pushing others to the point, most notably Brad Keselowski. But now it may be Austin Sindrick's turn to shine. He's nose to nose with Bubba Wallace for the lead. Even your mirror, your help's going to be closer. Your help's closer. 12.43, all lined up tight behind you here at the big push. Comes Bubba Wallace in fifth, gets in the Blaney who gets in the Cindric that advances the inside lane. You're going to be the one to make the move here. Half to him. They're ready when you are. Here they come. Still half. They're waiting on you. The first Ford help's going to be second. Six cars up to you. 12 says make the move. Austin Cindric, the race leader, off of turn number four. Green-white checker to end the Daytona 500 if we stay under the green flag. Up front, Cindric and Blaney, row one. Bubba and Brad, row two. Green is out. Cindric is gone. Brad Keselowski will follow, but Cindric will pull down right in front of his teammate, Ryan Blaney. A perfect restart for the freshman campaigner. Austin Cindric has the lead. The battle is for second. Blaney quarter off you. Here comes his help. It's going to be a big push from the 23. Blaney's getting a push now. Both lanes getting a push. Here comes Blaney. Big push outside. Austin Cindric leads into turn three for the final time with a big shove from teammate Ryan Blaney. Here comes Brad Keselowski topside, but it's the rookie that leads off four. A whole bunch of Fords at the front of the field, and here they come. Cindric trying to squeeze. He's Blaney into the fence, and at age 23, Austin Sindrick has scored the Daytona 500 win. They crash further down after they cross the start-finish line. Inside, 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 checker. Yes. Daytona 500! Holy crap! Yes! I love you guys! Holy cow! Hope y'all don't need this motor. 
What a start to the year for Austin Cindric. Less than 24 hours after the biggest win in his life, our Kim Kuhn caught up with Austin, and you'll hear that conversation next. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. A few moments ago, you heard what it sounded like when Austin Sindrick took the checkered flag and won his first NASCAR Cup Series career win. It came in the 2022 Daytona 500. Now, let's take you back to Daytona, where Kim Kuhn caught up with Austin on the morning after his big triumph. All right. How does it feel? Your name, Austin Sindrick. Daytona 500 champion. Well, I can't tell you it wouldn't sound good. So it's uh, it's obviously a dream come true. Still still hard to believe for me, you know, a day after. I can't say it's it's necessarily set in. I think the only thing that's set in is my, my fingers gotten really swollen from wearing this big-ass ring. So that fits a little bit better now. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, yeah, pretty incredible day. Have you thought about where the trophy's going? Harley J. Earl trophy. Uh, well, last night I slept with it. <laughs> in the Airstream? No, no, not in the Airstream. The Airstream packed up and left yesterday. But, uh, but yeah, they, they, they did get me a hotel room last night. And, um, yeah, slept the slept with the Harley J. Earl. And um, they have this massive carrying case that goes with it. And uh, as far as I know, it's all mine. Typically, the Daytona 500 winner says, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe I got a text from so-and-so or a call from this person for you. What was that text or that call? Uh, I, I have gone through all of them. Uh, I would say probably one of the cooler, like getting a tweet from Mario Andretti was 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 really cool. And um, I know I discussed that in the media center um, yesterday. But just to hear from a lot of people and a lot of people that have that have helped me throughout my career. And um, there's a lot of people that I haven't heard from in a really long time. Um, but uh, even even like my buddies from high school growing up, um, just how engaged everybody is into that race. And uh, obviously, it's it's a really big deal. And um, definitely good to get perspective on that. There's never been a rookie in the two car. Prior to last night, the two car had never won the Daytona 500. Now you're sitting here, a winner of the Daytona 500, as a rookie in the two car. Have you had time to think about what that means for the history books, and what does being in the history books mean to you? Well, I think it's it, it goes a lot further than me. You know, there's a lot of people at, at Team Penske that you know have worked on that two car for a very, very long time. You know, it's it's obviously been generations of, of, of our race team and um, people who have showed up to Daytona and Speed Weeks and have wanted to win this race so bad. And um, for me to be able to deliver that for the race team is 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 a dream come true to do it on Rogers' birthday is, is, is obviously awesome. Um, so uh, I'm glad I can do my part um, and uh, obviously start a new chapter in this race car. What did Rogers say to you after the race? I just gave him a big old hug and said, happy birthday. <laughs> you were giving everybody hugs, and, and I loved it because we could see your excitement. Obviously, it's a big race, but it's also your first Cup Series win. For you, how would you sum up the emotion 
Um, it's, it's just gratifying. I mean, you, you put in a lot of work to, to get to this level, let alone um, to win at the cup level, but have your first win the Daytona 500. Um, I mean, I, I, it's one of those things that you know is possible, but um, you kind of don't believe it until it happens. And um, it's happened, and I still probably don't believe it. But, you know, that's it's what happens when you surround yourself with great people and able to apply the resources that we have in, in, in the way that we do. And um, I'm just really excited for, for what's next. You know, it, it does lock us into the playoffs. It does get us into the all-star race. And two things that I didn't have when I walked in on, on Saturday or on Sunday morning. But, um, you know, th- that those two things really help us. We're leading the points. <laughs> Who'd have thought that? But, yeah, it, it definitely sets up our season to where we can be patient and aggressive at the same time as far as through my learning process you know there's still gonna be highs and lows of a rookie season and um i I think being able to be able to soak that in the best we can definitely helps set us up for the playoffs a lot of times in the daytona 500 the winner only leads the last lap but you you led throughout the race at what point did you realize you had a car that could win the daytona 500 and then also you learned very fast in terms of the drafting in the cup car on this speedway how were you able to acclimate so quickly well, I think you just have to be open-minded and adaptable, and that's something I, I try and pride myself with, and, and something I knew was going to be very critical for for the race on Sunday. You know, Thursday was really the only opportunity for us to see in a in a in a larger pack what these cars would do in a draft. And uh, obviously, we had a pretty strong duel, finishing second. Um, I felt like in practice, uh, I started, you know, in the Friday Saturday practice, I started taking a little bit of pride in my car. It's one of those things like, all right, we, this is my Daytona 500 car. I'm we got some speed like I'm gonna not rev this thing all the way out I'm gonna take care of it on the shifts and um, it's it's one of those things that um, I don't I don't think you can you can count yourself out but um, once once I knew I had track position really after the end of stage three I knew I had a shot as long as I didn't get shocked out so um, had some really good Ford help throughout the race um, really fun working with Ryan and Brad a lot of the race and um, understanding what it took to control lanes and I think that really paid off for me at the end. You obviously owe a lot to Ryan Blaney, and uh, you thanked him. What was the conversation like between the two of you after the race? Yeah, I mean, I think I think really over the last couple of years, Ryan has really proven himself to be a, a great team player. And, um, you know, I, I, I was really honestly surprised he wanted to do a teammate restart at the end of the race. And um, in hindsight, I would also say that it was probably in his best interest to do it as well, you know, giving himself a shot to be close to leader at the end. Um, but once you're coming off a of turn four in the white flag lap, Daytona 500, I can tell you every single person behind me wanted to win that race. So, um, you know, I, I think I think he did his part and he also put himself in probably the best position possible to try and win the race. So um, as a teammate, that's all I can ask for. And, um, you know, from, from his standpoint, I would say he gave himself a shot and that's all you can ask for some days. There was this notion when you were coming up through the ranks that you were only a road course racer and you, I would say, very quickly disproved that. And and now you're in the Cup Series and you're still disproving that. Is that something that people labeled you as or did you get to a place where, you know, before you won on something other than a road course that you kind of started to believe? Well, it wasn't until I won Pocono last year that I won on every shape of racetrack. I, I got I got circles, road courses, and triangles now. So, <laughs> all the yeah, all the shapes. Uh, so for for me, it's it's kind of just been noise. But if if you're uh, I guess if your biggest downfall as a driver is that you're successful at something, then I, I'm I'm not sure what to complain about. So uh, otherwise, yeah, it's 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 certainly par for the course. But 
um, you know, everyone tries to take something away from you. But uh, for, for me, it's it's definitely been part of the process and part of learning this style of racing for me over the last, you know, five or six years. And um, definitely gratifying, you know, to, I mean, I've got probably more wins on ovals now than road courses for sure. But um, we also race on a lot of ovals. So you got to be good at those to be good in the sport. Because your family has uh, such a deep history in racing, have you felt over the years that you've had to work harder to prove yourself? And now that you're a Daytona 500 champion, do you feel like you're at a place where you don't have to work hard to prove yourself anymore? No, uh, I mean, working hard is what's gotten me here. So uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm pretty internally motivated and I'm, I'm not very externally intimidated. So uh, as far as, you know, what those challenges are and might be, um, you know, I have, to, I have to look into myself before anything else. Uh, so uh, like I said, that, that's what's gotten me this far. And um, I, I know there's still a pretty long road ahead, pretty big mountain to climb to get where I want to be as far as being in this position every weekend at every type of racetrack, every 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 sunday so um i know i've got still still plenty of work to do and um you know with this new car i think that's that's what it's going to take especially throughout the beginning of the year is 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 to be open-minded to be adaptable to really apply yourself so um looking forward to getting back to work i'll I'll enjoy this for a few days but (laughs) definitely looking forward to getting back to work and trying to do it again after the one last night you said we're in the playoffs that's one good box checked what's the next good box you want to check that's a great question (laughs) um yeah, I'd say I'd say playoff points are, are, are pretty big from from here on out. To you know, I think everyone's going to have to win a race to get into the playoffs this year. Whether whether that's with the car, I mean, you look at last season and you could say there's a larger disparity in the cars, and in this year there isn't. So um, looking looking forward to seeing seeing how that plays out. Um, but but otherwise, yeah, playoff points are everything, and um, trying to be able to figure out how to position ourselves uh, for the postseason. Austin capped his year by advancing into the round of 12 in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, and he also won Rookie of the Year honors. Congratulations. What a year for Austin Sendrick. Coming up, you'll hear from another 2022 first-time winner in Chase Briscoe, and later we'll look back at Darlington Raceway's throwback weekend. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to youtube.com slash Spotify offer to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6th. No refunds. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. 2022 is a big year for first-time winners in the NASCAR Cup Series. The second of five first-time winners of the year was Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe. I caught up with Chase in the days following him becoming the Cup Series 200th winner at Phoenix Raceway. What do you take with you the most out of what you accomplished on Sunday? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just, uh, first off, I'm thankful for the opportunity and just being able to even be in that position to to run in the Cup Series, but then let alone win in the Cup Series. But then just the fact that I, I, I felt like I earned it. You know, I, I didn't, you know, lead the last lap and that was it. You know, it wasn't some crazy fuel mileage. It didn't rain. You know, nothing against guys that have won that way, but I, I felt like I had, I won the race. You know, I led over 100 laps. 
I had to, you know, hold off multiple guys on restarts at the end. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of pride that comes in that for myself is I I didn't get it handed to me in a sense. I had to go out and earn it. And, you know, having restarts with two other guys that have never won a race, you know, they're going for it. The one restart, I started beside my teammate, who's probably the king of Phoenix. Um, you know, I, I felt like I, I did a really good job that day. From, from the start to finish, I felt like that's the best race I've ever ran in my life. And to be able to put it all together and, and end up in victory lane uh, was special. You talk about restarts. That last restart was um, was pretty dicey. I thought we were going to have a heap of wadded up race cars down in turn one. How was it from your seat? Yeah, it was wild. And uh, I'm glad I grew up dirt racing, to be honest with you. I felt like, uh, you know, getting down into one, it was just a, a deal where it was flat or die. You had to throw a slide job or you were going to be the one on the, the not good end of it. It was funny. I was talking to Tyler and Ross after the race. And I mean, there at Phoenix, you're normally in fifth gear down into turn one. But on restarts, you can run fourth gear. Then you can either leave it in fourth or ship to fifth. And we were all in fourth gear, just, I mean, buried on the rev limiter. All the way down into the corner. We were drowning in so deep. And it was just, honestly, a game of chicken. Who was going to be the last person to lift? Whoever did that was going to be able to, to, you know, hold the lead and win the race. So uh, I felt like my dirt experience helped. You know, especially the second to last start, Ross was to my inside. And, you know, whenever you're running a sprint car or a midget and a guy is going to throw a slider, if you can just drive in just as deep and right on the right front or, you know, right off the right rear, you know, you normally put them in a pretty bad spot and they have to pinch it off. So that's what I tried to do and it ended up working out. Saw you when you got out of the car. You parked the car after the massive burnout start finish line. You got out, you took a knee, you bowed your head. What were the emotions right then? Yeah, it's just something that I've always done ever since the Xfinity stuff. Um, you know, I just say a prayer and, and say thank you for the opportunity. I, I always say, let me try to use this to, to glorify you any way I can. And, you know, there's I'm constantly praying throughout the race, every caution, sometimes under green. And uh, just felt, you know, like he's put me here for a reason. And let me try to glorify you through it all. So I've always done that and been able to, uh, you know, it's been well received from the fan base and everything else. So it's been cool to to be able to do that and get the opportunity, like I said, to do that. And uh, it was it was a, a nice moment to just kind of sit there and say thank you and then start the celebration. One thing I want to get to the bottom of, you told our Steve Post in the trackside interview, you documented how it used to sleep on sofas and, and you were volunteering. Let's let's explore that. Whose sofa did you sleep on when you first got to North Carolina? Yeah, there was a couple, couple different ones, but the one that I was honestly at the most was Ross Weiss. He was one of the few people I knew in North Carolina. He was a sprint car guy uh, from Illinois. And yeah, I, I slept on this couch. It was probably the most uncomfortable couch I've ever been on in my life. Uh, my feet hung over the end. Um, yeah, and I slept there for, for two years. I think it was a two bedroom, I mean, maybe 600 square foot apartment at the most. I mean, it was tiny and I would sleep in the living room um, and Bell would sleep on an air mattress in the in the spare bedroom. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, not the most ideal sleeping arrangement, but I didn't have anywhere else to stay. And I would just I told Ross, like, hey, look, I can't pay you rent. but I can give you money here and there when I have it. You know, there'd be some months I'd give him 200 bucks. There'd be other months I'd give him 50 bucks. And I just did what I could to, to try to help him out. But yeah, without Ross, I even texted him after the race and, and he had told me congrats. I said, hey, thank you for letting me sleep on your couch because without that, I wouldn't have had a place to go in North Carolina and I wouldn't have been able to go and volunteer at these race shops and it wouldn't have turned into an eventual opportunity with, with Cunningham Motorsports. What was the attraction of that? So you uproot yourself, you come to North Carolina, 
you're not in the best sleeping arrangements, you're sleeping on sofas. What about that made it attractive to you? Why did you do that? Yeah, so in 2013, uh, I had nothing going. My sprint car career-wise, my family didn't really have the money to, to race at all, let alone go run 50, 60 races like everybody else was. We were running maybe 12 races, 15 races a year, and our motor blew up like the second race of the season. And I was on Facebook one day, and there was this thing called the Peak Stock Car Dream Challenge. And I looked it up, and it said, hey, we're going to take 10 drivers. We're going to bring them to Charlotte, North Carolina. We're going to put them in a stock car with Michael Waltrip Racing. And I entered this thing. You got to submit a video. I didn't listen to any of the guidelines. I don't know how I even got picked this day. Uh, and yeah, I got picked. I went to Charlotte and I'd never driven a stock car. I'd never been on pavement, never even driven a manual transmission. And I apparently showed speed. And Ty Norris uh, was the general manager at the time of, of Michael Walter Racing. And whenever we were leaving the competition, uh, my dad actually kicked me out of the room and said, I want to talk to you real quick, Ty. And, he asked Ty, like, hey, if you're just blowing smoke about my kid being good, just let me know and, and I won't keep pursuing this and we won't even keep sprint car racing. But if you think he honestly has something, then let me know. And, and Ty told him, no, he needs to move down here. I think he has an opportunity. So I graduated high school a couple of weeks later and uh, moved to North Carolina and uh, started, you know, going to these different shops. I, I knew one person when I first moved down there and it was Brian Keselowski because he was one of the instructors at the Peak Stock Car Dream Challenge. Um, and started going there and working for Bob and Brian, just volunteering and would actually go spot races for Brian when he would run stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it eventually turned into, you know, where it is today. And it was cool. Ty Norris came down on the wall. He was one of the first people uh, I saw uh, after the race. And he, he was just super excited for me. And, and it was really neat. It was kind of a full circle moment that, that Ty came down there. And he even said, I'm glad you didn't give up on it. What a year it was for Chase Briscoe. He was the dark horse of the playoffs and came up just short of having a chance to race for a championship at Phoenix. Coming up, we'll take a look back at some of the great paint schemes that were on the track during throwback weekend this year. And later, we get a history lesson on Road America. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. NASCAR Live continues, and we are so glad you are a part of the process. Throwback Weekend is a favorite weekend of NASCAR fans and competitors. Every year, Darlington Raceway and the current crop of drivers honor legends of the past with special paint schemes. 2022 featured some of the best we'd ever seen, and Kurt Becker took us through that list. The cars on the track this weekend at the Darlington Raceway will have a different look. That's because the majority of the teams will take part in the annual throwback festivities at the track Too Tough to Tame and honor the stars of yesteryear. With no specific theme this year, teams will have free reign to choose from any NASCAR time period. One of the legendary drivers that will be honored is Hall of Famer Mark Martin, and among the drivers who will be honoring him is Alex Bowman. The 48 car will be throwing back to the classic red, white, and blue valvoline colors that Martin took to victory lane at Darlington in 1993. By far the dominant car all day. Mark Martin half a lap from victory lane. Now one more time to turn number three. Martin hangs the hard left turn, gets back on the throttle. He's on his way off of turn four with the checkers in sight. He has waited all day after a three-hour rain delay at 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. Mark Martin makes it four wins in a row. Bowman isn't the only driver honoring Martin, as Brad Keselowski will do the same in the number six car, but with a different look from a different era. 
Keselowski will throw back to 2004 with a paint scheme that Martin drove to victory lane at Dover. Martin looking kind of comfortable here coming down to the line as he sees the signal of five laps to go. Separation from first to second, just over a half second. Keselowski's teammate Chris Buescher will also be throwing back to the great Roush Fenway stable from 2004. He will be honoring Hall of Fame finalist Matt Kenseth in a classic black and yellow number 17 Ford. The DeWalt Ford, he is there off turn number two. It is Matt Kenseth, Casey Kane, Jamie McMurray now knows the tail. One of the candidates for the best scheme on throwback weekend is always the 24 car. There are many classic looks from which to choose that honor Jeff Gordon. This year, William Byron is throwing back to the flame design that Gordon raced to six victories back in 2007. Jeff Gordon hit in the back of the pack all afternoon, and now he leads, but can he stay there? Off turn number four, into the triable. He has the top spot, but down to the inside of the track goes Jimmy Johnson. Gordon's going to take the win in the UAW Ford 500. With a number of second-generation drivers now in the sport, it is always admirable to see sons honoring their fathers. That will be the case this year as Harrison Burton will carry the white and purple scheme that his dad, Jeff Burton, ran in the year 2000. Jeff Burton wins at Daytona. He takes the 42nd Pepsi 400 by just a couple of feet over Dale Jarrett. With the open theme this year, some drivers are taking the opportunity to throw back to some of their own historic schemes. That is the case for two Joe Gibbs racing teammates. Denny Hamlin will drive the FedEx Toyota in the same colors as his 2016 Daytona 500 victory, while Christopher Bell will throw back to his 2017 NASCAR Truck Series Championship. But here comes Hamlin, storming up the outside of the racetrack for second. And that outside lane up to the second spot, led by Denny Hamlin. Throws the block, does that Kenseth, he's out of shape. Here comes Martin Truex Jr. to the bottom. Checkered flag waving at the start-finish line. Who will get there first? It's Truex on the inside, Hamlin on the outside, and too close to call. Denny Hamlin showing up as the race winner. And a first NASCAR championship for Christopher Bell, who takes the title for the 2017 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. The 90s won't be left out this year either, thanks to the Bush brothers. Kyle Bush will drive the classic Ernie Irvin M&M scheme from 1998, while brother Kurt will pilot Bill Elliott's red and white McDonald's livery from 1996. Up front, here's Mark Martin trying to pull even with race leader Ernie Irvin once again. And again, he fails in doing that. He'll tuck himself back in line. Ernie Irvin's multicolored Pontiac has the lead at the end of the back straightaway with Mark Martin Ford just behind his back bumper. Then Jeff Gordon. Bill Elliott is the 12th different driver to lead. The 38th Daytona 500. Elliott flashes across the start-finish line to complete the 114th lap of the 200 that make up the race. With so many legends of the past and present being honored, it is certain to be a special weekend at the Darlington Raceway. Thank you, Kurt. Can't wait to see what the teams are cooking up for this year's throwback weekend in 2023. Coming up, Kurt Becker will be back to go through the great history of Road America. And later, we'll hear from Tyler Reddick after he won at that very road course. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. 
Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Road America has long been a favorite stop for the NASCAR Xfinity Series throughout the years. But in 2021 and 2022, that four-mile road course in Wisconsin became the home of NASCAR's Independence Day weekend tradition. Before that race, Kurt Becker took us through the track's storied history. For the second straight year, NASCAR heads to Wisconsin and a visit to Road America for an Independence Day weekend filled with camping, bratwurst, and some world-class road course racing at the track nicknamed America's National Park of Speed. While it's only the second year that this track has been home to NASCAR's annual July 4th weekend tradition, the track itself has been a huge part of American road course racing since the 1950s. Road America is located on a 640-acre plot of land near the Kettle Moraine Scenic Drive in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, a town midway between Milwaukee and Green Bay. The first race at Elkhart Lake was held in 1950, but the first race on the course as we know it today took place in 1955. Even though many considered last year's Cup Series race as a first for the track, NASCAR Cup Series drivers actually had raced at Road America in August of 1956 in a race which was won by Tim Flock. Throughout the years, the track has been host to numerous sports car races and champ car events with names like Mario Andretti, Jacques Villeneuve, and Dario Franchitti finding victory lane. But it took over 50 years for NASCAR to make its return. That came when the four-mile, 14-turn course was added to the Xfinity Series schedule in 2010. From that day, some 12 years ago, it was evident that this track, with its features such as elevation changes and the turn known as the kink, would become a favorite stop for NASCAR. Fans turned out in a big way that afternoon and were treated to a fan favorite in Carl Edwards heading to victory lane and celebrating with his signature backflip. That win by Edwards might have been the most popular at the track, at least until Wisconsin native Paul Menard found victory lane in 2015. One final corner separates Paul Menard from victory in his home state of Wisconsin, but he's also got a fuel cell that's drying up. Menard, the leader, he's under power. Blaney is there, two car lengths back. They climb the 60-foot hill for the final time. Paul Menard trying to work his way back to start finish, a matter of feet now as he comes to the line and will score the win. He told us earlier it would be one of the biggest wins of his career to win at a racetrack that meant so much to his childhood, very much like when he won at the Brickyard. Paul Menard wins at his home track of Road America. Many considered Menard's triumph to be an upset. Underdog victories are one of the most thrilling aspects of road racing, and fans were treated to another one in 2017 when Xfinity Series veteran Jeremy Clements took the checkered flag. Up the hill for the final time, Jeremy Clements, the race leader. The RepairableVehicles.com Chevrolet, two lap cars in front of him now. He twitches off the left-hander, slows it down, gets into the brakes, carefully around those lap cars. He's got it now, mashed to the gas as he makes that 90-degree left-hand, right-hand turn for the final time, headed towards start finish. Jeremy Clements comes up the hill. They're losing their minds in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Jeremy Clements comes to the checkered flag. He'll win the Johnsonville 180. It is his first win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series in 14 years of trying. In recent years, young drivers such as Austin Sendrick and Christopher Bell have developed into road course aces and they have made the track their playground. Those former NASCAR champions joined a who's who of champions from various series who have won at the track. That list has grown bigger since the IndyCar Series began racing at Elkhart Lake in 2016. In fact, the past two series champions, Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow, won at the track on the way to those titles. All of those moments were huge, but arguably the biggest moment in the history of the track came last summer. 
The NASCAR Cup Series visited Road America on July 4th, 2021, and the fans came out in full force. It's been 23,702 days since the NASCAR Cup Series last race here in Wisconsin at Road America, and that's about to change. Aaron Jones running back of the Green Bay Packers puts the green flag in the air, and we're racing at Road America. More than 100,000 fans flocked to the grounds that weekend, and they witnessed a dominant performance by the sport's most popular driver. All alone, nobody around him. Chase Elliott looking to go back into the history books, the new king of road course racing in NASCAR up the hill for the final time. A win at the historic Road America added to the resume of Chase Elliott up the hill. Checkered flag is out. Everybody is on their feet and Chase Elliott has won here this afternoon in Wisconsin. That was an historic weekend for the sport at a track that itself is rich with history. In fact, Road America's original course was enshrined on the National Register of Historic Places in 2006. And the next chapter of the track's history will be written with another NASCAR Xfinity Cup doubleheader on this July 4th weekend as America celebrates her birthday at the only track on the schedule with America in its name. It would be Tyler Reddick who scored the big win at Road America this season. And coming up, you'll hear his conversation with Kim Kuhn following his first Cup Series win. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Shortly, we'll be heading for the exits here on this week's NASCAR Live as we continue on. You know, throughout the first few months of the 2022 season, people were just waiting for Tyler Reddick to break out and get to victory lane. He had finished second so many times. He was dominant at Fontana before he fell out of the race because of a flat tire and subsequent crash. He looked like he would be crowned the king of dirt at Bristol before Chase Briscoe took him out in the final turn. But Reddick's long wait finally came to an end at Road America, and the California driver joined us in the aftermath of locking himself into the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Those closing laps, though, with the number of times that you have been so close to a win and just had it basically taken from you, what were you thinking as you were winding down, getting closer to the white flag, getting closer to the checkered flag? It was up until about three or four laps to go that, that those thoughts could have become really distracting. And for me, I feel like those things started running through my head probably about 12, 10, 12 to go, right about the time Chase started to close back in. Um, and that's when it became really important to just cleared out of the head, focused on what was at hand, and that's just hitting the corners. I kind of thought that I was going to need to manage my brakes, take care of this, take care of that. And he started to run me back down. I'm like, okay, well, I need to push here. And if my brakes burn off, they burn off, but I'm not going to wait till he gets to my back bumper to find out. And right about that time, you know, lap time started going back the right way, and we, we gapped ourselves. So by the time it got to three, two, one to go, um, I was feeling pretty good, um, honestly. Yes, you never know what could have happened on the racetrack. I didn't know till after the fact Austin had his issues that he did. But, um, you know, once we got to, to that many laps to go and the gap that I, I had was there, I was feeling good about it. Your first win is a big deal. And uh, I saw a number of people come to Victory Lane to congratulate you. And it's so awesome to see that it's obvious that you're well-liked among your peers. And I'm sure your phone was blowing up too. After the race, kind of like after everything settled, was there a message or 
anything from someone that surprised you or one that you were most excited about congratulating you on the win? Well, I, I can't give you an answer on that yet because I haven't been able to respond or see all the text messages <laughs> I've gotten yet. I think I got about 350 and I'm about halfway through it all. I've got, I got, I'm halfway there, got halfway to go. So <laughs> there was a lot of messages from a lot of great people. Um, you know, when you win a race like this, um, when I've won races in the past, I've gotten messages, but this was a huge deal. And, you know, pretty much a lot of, a lot of people that, um, I've known throughout my life that have helped me throughout my different stages of my career pretty much seemed like I got a text from almost every single one of them. And, uh, yeah, it's just really great to, to, to hear from some of those people, um, talk, you know, be able to text them again, them, them say what they did. Um, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of nice messages. Um, but I'm still, I still got, I'm, I'm halfway there. Got a long way to go still. <laughs> You're part of this crazy 2022 first win club. It seems like you guys in that kind of club. So Austin Sendrick and Chase Briscoe, Daniel Ross, you're all pretty friendly and complimentary of each other. What's it been like to see them win and get to celebrate their win and then vice versa? We obviously saw Austin Sendrick give you a big bear hug in victory lane just to be part of that club this season. It's really cool. Um, you know, starting the year off the way that that it did with with Austin stepping into the two car with with Jeremy and and going out there and just putting together a really really nice performance and just just clutch restart and last final laps doing whatever it took even to his teammate to to win the Daytona 500. Um, that was just a really awesome way to start the year for me. I I didn't have a good 500 and I was pretty bummed about it. Um, but to, to to hang around and watch him win that race the way he did was awesome and then. No, looking at guys like Briscoe, you know, he, me, him, and Ross had a crazy battle uh, for the win at, at Phoenix. Um, I know how hard he's wanted it and worked for it. We've, our paths have crossed back in the sprint car days when we were much younger. That was cool to see. Um, you know, seeing Ross just be Ross, muscle his way to victory um, was also cool too. And there's a lot of people a part of those teams that, that, that I've worked with in the past or I know. And, you know, there's a lot of other people involved, too, that, that it's really special, too, that I that I know as well. When I was talking to Ross post-race, he was so excited for you, and he described you, like, as an animal. Just an animal of a driver. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I, I think Ross is an animal uh, behind the wheel. I I mean, yeah, I guess I have my moments. Um, the, the, the crazier the drive, the more fun it is. So I guess in, in some ways, yes, I, I guess I would emulate that. If I had to have guessed where you would have won this season, and I've had to talk about it a lot throughout the beginning of the year because it's always asked, like, where do you think Greg's going to win? And I had probably five other tracks before Road America, probably actually 10 other tracks before Road America circled as, oh, he could definitely win at that track to get his first win because you're so good at all these other places. So were you surprised that this is where you notched your first Cup Series win? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I, with how the year started and the speed that we had, I thought that, you know, we could have put it together. And w I mean, we were capable of it, surely, to put it together before then. You know, I, it may sound full of myself, but, you know, when I knew going into Fontana with where we were at with the car and how good we were coming off the clash, I know, totally different racetrack, but just how we, we were just clicking right away with this car. 
uh, you know, I felt really good about Fontana. We were fast there, and it, it just seems like the places I've really felt strongly about, um, you know, we've we've been really good at. And I think some of that is how we prepare, our confidence going into it. But yeah, um, I, I thought Road America was going to be one of those type of tracks for us this year. First win or just win in general, I mean, look at it either way. You know, we were here last year. We were we were really strong as well, but we were kind of in, in a tough spot. Me and Austin were having to race each other, uh, you know, for, for that last playoff spot. And we were having to go for the stage points, flip, you know, not flip the, flip the stage, lose our track position every time. And, you know, we, we found ourselves at the end of that race, I think seventh or eighth, uh, but we were all really frustrated because we felt like we could have went up there and competed with Chase and, and the guys that ran up front. So it was nice that we were kind of in a more desperate situation this, this time around. And we were pretty much forced to just, just flip the strategy and go for the race win. Tyler Reddick is on the move in 2023. He'll be wheeling a Toyota for 2311 racing. Be curious to see if he can continue those winning ways with that organization. Coming up, we'll look ahead to part two of the best of NASCAR Live. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We're going to wrap up this week's show by giving you a taste of what you'll hear next week, including this interview that I had a chance to do with Justin Marks following Ross Chastain scoring his first win for Team Trackhouse at Circuit of the Americas. Joining us, the team principal, Justin Marks, is on NASCAR Live. Justin, welcome in. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing good. My feet haven't touched much of the ground last 24 hours. It's been, uh, been pretty awesome. Well, it was awesome to watch it happen. It was more interesting watching it develop. Uh, saw some video, obviously, watched it on TV, heard the description on the radio. Saw you standing behind the war wagon there. I guess when you when you pumped your fist and the guys started to get excited, that was when contact was made and then you jumped up on pit wall. What was that moment like knowing you were about to win your first cup race as an owner? Well, I mean, I've done this, you know, long enough and been in this sport long enough and a part of these races to know that, you know, when, when you do these green-white checkers, you do these these sort of dashes to the end at short tracks and road courses that, you know, a lot of times it really truly isn't over until the last corner. And, you know, desperation sets in and, and kind of just, you know, racecraft kind of goes out the window and it's sort of like who just wants it more at that point. So, you know, you could have thrown a blanket over all three of those guys with three corners to go. And, I mean, any three of them could have won the race or, heck, the fourth-place guy, you know. So, um so, I mean, for us, it was it was just waiting to see how Ross managed, you know, what happened in front of him, but how he, he managed those last couple corners. And obviously, how, I think he was trying to just push the 16 through there to, um, to try to get the 48 out of the way. Um, and, uh, you know, and those two got into each other. So I think that point where we all kind of realized it was our day was was, uh, you know, essentially when he cleared the 48 and had enough of a, enough of a cushion driving into that last corner to know that uh, if he just got through his shifts, we had the race one. So it's just you never know till it's over. We were speaking a moment ago. Your teams have speed and you've had speed ever since Daytona with this new car. Been a lot of conversations about will this level the playing field. The parody word has come up. I view this as this new race car and this season has provided opportunity for teams that perhaps maybe otherwise would not have had as big of op- an opportunity in the past. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think that this car, uh, I think that success in this car um, exists in a little bit of a different form than in the past. I mean, I think for the last couple of decades, you know, speed on the racetrack performance has really been a, a function of, 
you know, engineering and ingenuity around parts and pieces and designing race cars and, and all that. And, and, you know, bringing sort of far superior equipment to the racetrack versus your, um, your, your colleagues. Well, now we all have the same stuff. So I think that the equity of success exists in a different form. I think that, you know, we're not, we're not designing parts and pieces anymore. It's about workflow management. It's about culture. It's about obviously getting talented people and letting them do their jobs and, and, you know, building a great team. And that's what, that's what we're doing at Trackhouse is that, you know, everybody is really, really motivated and, and helping each other. Both race teams are working really well together. Everyone's got a very positive attitude. They're excited to be here. Can't wait to give you that in full and more next week. But before we do, we've got to say goodbye to you for this week. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you're having a fantastic holiday season. Hope the new year is safe and sound, and we'll catch you next week right here on NASCAR Live. Until then, happy holidays and so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast, and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was directed by Trey Downey and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com.